Welcome to Christian Assembly, a family church. Since 1930, we've been serving the communities of Western Pennsylvania, Ohio, and West Virginia with the good news of Jesus Christ. With over 40 years of Bible teaching and ministry experience, Pastor Bill brings faith-filled revelation from God's Word. We believe with you, wherever you are, that God will inspire and change your life through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly, follow us on social media or visit our website at cafamily.net. this morning is entitled Going Up. I pray we're all going up. It's a message that really influenced me to come into the body of Christ. I have shared this many times with you in case you weren't here. Uh, my father was a big fan of the book of Revelation and he believed in scaring people into the kingdom. And he got me. So I want to share a little bit about the rapture of the church this morning, if that's okay with you, and there's a reason for it. So um, it's called Going Up, and in my introduction, it's just, if you recall, the last two meetings we had, Good Friday and Easter Sunday, talked about the seven feasts that the Israelites were to observe or keep all the days of their lives. The seven feasts revealed to us God's redemptive plan for man. Now, imagine living on the earth and imagine being a Jewish individual and imagine celebrating these feasts every year. Passover, unleavened bread, and then the first fruits, and then Pentecost. Those are the four spring feasts that they celebrate every year. And then you've got this, the fall feasts. You've got the feast of um, trumpets, atonement, and then tabernacles. Those are the last three. Now, the first four feasts have already been fulfilled. Now, they'll be celebrating, but what they're celebrating has been fulfilled. They all point to Jesus Christ, every one of them. But imagine, you put yourself in that situation where maybe all those years you've been doing this, what's going to make you think that on this particular Friday when Jesus was crucified, that he's fulfilling the Feast of Passover? And even though they were all pointing to the Feast of Passover, and pointing to the sacrificial lamb of God, they didn't see it. And then the unleavened bread, that's been fulfilled. They could celebrate it, but it's been fulfilled. And then the resurrection was the fulfillment of first fruits. He was the first fruit, first begotten from the dead, right? So they're celebrated, but they're also fulfilled. Pentecost is this year, June 5th, and many will be celebrating it, but it's been fulfilled. Okay, now the other three are not fulfilled. In the fall, Feast of Trumpets hasn't been fulfilled yet. That's the next one to be fulfilled. Now, they'll celebrate it, but it hasn't been fulfilled yet. So if you can look at it this way, you've got two bookends. You've got the bookends right here. You've got Pentecost, the birth of the church. You've got Trumpets, the church is removed in the rapture. Okay, in between... 2,000 years called the harvest, the gospel era. You can call it the dispensation of grace. We've been in this time of the Gentiles since Pentecost until now, which is like 2,000 years. But just as those people back then were thinking, is this really the fulfillment of, of Passover and unleavened bread and all that? You realize that trumpets is next to be fulfilled. And when it's fulfilled, 
Look out. We're out of here. The church is removed. We've got seven years of tribulation after that. Okay. So the point I want to make this morning is this. It may just seem like another fall, September 25th through 27th this year. But every one of us should intensify our being ready because we know that he's going to come during the Feast of Trumpets. He came on every other feast day and did exactly what it was said that he would do. Why wouldn't we think that he's coming during the Feast of Trumpets? Now, I'm not saying it's going to be this September. It could be the following September. It could be within the next three to five years. But the point being, we celebrate these to remind ourselves that this is a reality. He came. He died. He rose again. That's all fulfilled. So even though the Jews will be celebrating past, uh, Pentecost, they don't realize it's been fulfilled. Acts chapter 2, Jesus came on the day of Pentecost, and while they were celebrating Pentecost here at the temple, the real Pentecost was taking place in the back street upper room where these hungry hearts were calling out to God, praying and believing God, and as for the Holy Ghost fell, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost on the day of Pentecost. So that's been fulfilled. So this is where we're at. Now I want you to see this in Ephesians chapter 3. Because in Ephesians chapter 3, we have a revelation given to us by the Apostle Paul. Jesus revealed to him a mystery that no one knew about. Even in the Old Testament, no one knew about this mystery. So let's read the verses first and we'll comment. For this cause I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles, notice for you Gentiles, if you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which is what we're living in right now, which is given me to you, word, how that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery of as I wrote afore in few words, whereby when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel. So what's Paul saying? Jesus gave me a revelation. And if you recall the story of Paul when he got saved, Jesus gave him a revelation of what took place from the cross to the throne. And so he gave him this revelation of the church age being the mystery age. Now, if I could, I want to make it as plain as I can, simple as I can. If you understand Bible prophecy whatsoever, you realize that Daniel's 69 weeks have already been fulfilled. That's 483 years upon the people of Israel, the Jewish people as a nation. But no one knew there would be a stoppage from Jewish time right at that point. And Daniel's 70th week, which is the last seven years, has not been fulfilled. But inserted in between that is called the dispensation of grace or the time of the Gentiles. So we're living in 2,000 years of this period of time that we call the gospel dispensation or the field of harvest. Remember Jesus said the, the fields are wiped unto harvest. Pray, therefore, the Lord of the harvest would send for laborers into his harvest, because the harvest is plenteous, but the laborers are few. We're living in the time of harvest. So from spring, we're living in the time of harvest, and what we're waiting for is the trumpet to sound. And when the trumpet sounds, feast of trumpets, the church is removed. And that's when the high priest calls the harvest workers off of the fields of harvest to come into the house. So let's kind of, that's a backdrop. Look in the book of Revelation chapter 1 and verse 3 and just get, get ready to be blessed. How do I know? Well, read it. Blessed is he that readeth. 
You ready? And they that hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written therein for the time is at hand. So you're just blessed just by what you're going to hear today. You're hearing it. You're reading it. Look at verse 19. I know it sometimes seems to be a difficult book to understand, but if you divide it into three sections or divisions like Jesus did for John, it becomes easier to understand. Notice, write these things which, number one, thou hast seen, John, the things you've seen. Number two, things which are right now, John. Number three, things which shall be hereafter. Everybody say hereafter. Okay, so let's start with the things which you've seen, John. What did you see, John? Well, look at 1 John chapter 1, first three verses. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled of the word of life. For the life was manifested and we have seen it and bear witness and show unto you that eternal life, which was with the father and was manifested unto us. What John is saying is this. You can deny Christ all you want. I heard him. I saw him. I saw his life. I saw his miracles. I saw his death. I saw his burial. I saw his resurrection. And oh, by the way, I saw his ascension into heaven. So if you think he's a, not a reality, well, I've got news for you. I saw it with my own eyes. I'm an eyewitness to what he did. All the miracles, all the signs, all the wonders, I attest to them all. Okay, so he's the one in chapter 1 that's a revelation of Jesus Christ. He's the one that loved us, he says, and washed us from our sins in his own blood and made us kings and priests before God. So he writes that. But then we have now, notice this as we go on. Look at the next one. In chapter 2 and 3, we won't read these chapters. But the things that are. So the things that are, what he's saying is this. Chapter 2 and chapter 3 of Revelation chronicle the church age. As you see this pattern here, Revealed to us in all the different churches, the seven churches of Asia Minor, which was a male root that took place back then. It's almost like he's revealing to us that these two chapters reveal to us the things that are right now, John. Okay, so you can see that we're living in the church age and these are the conditions of these particular churches that represents the whole church age. So those are the things that are. And he wrote to those seven churches and said certain things to each church to let them know where they lacked and where they excelled. So during this 2,000-year period that we're living in right now, and we're about at the end of it, um, he has that revealed to them. But then notice the next thing. The next thing is the things that are to come or hereafter. And look at, um, let's put it this way. Chapter 4 and chapter 5 reveal the church being raptured, raptured up to be with the Lord and then a seven-year period takes place upon the earth called the tribulation period, which is the wrath of God being poured out. In verses 6 through 19 of Revelation, the wrath of God is poured out on the earth. And then after that, we have the second coming of Christ, which he comes to rescue Israel from destruction. After that, he sets up his millennial kingdom for 1,000 years on the earth. And then comes the new heavens and the new earth after the, the battle of Gog and Magog. So that's kind of it in a nutshell as it's laid out. So where are we at? At the end of the 2,000 year period. We've been here for 2,000 years as the church, the time, the time of grace, the position of grace, the uh, time of the Gentiles, and we're about to wrap things up. Now it could be within the next who knows, who knows how many years. 
But we know things have lined up to let us know we're at the end of it all. But I want to reveal to you some things I think that are important for us to see. Look at chapter 1, verse 19 again. And notice that word hereafter, at the very end of it. And the things which shall be hereafter. And that's why I want you to say hereafter. Now look at chapter 4 and verse 1. After this I looked, and behold, a door was opened where? In heaven. And the first voice which I heard was as it were a trumpet of a trumpet talking with me, which said, come up hither. Title of the message, going up. And I will show you the, I will show thee things which must be, when? Hereafter. So here comes the hereafter. So he's telling John, you wrote about the things that are, that you've seen, the things that are right here in 2 and 3. But now these are the things which shall happen hereafter. So in Revelation 1, look at verses 10 and 11. When he heard this voice of the trumpet, whose voice was that? I was in the spirit in the Lord's day, and he, I'd heard behind me a great voice of, as of a trumpet saying, I am Alpha and Omega the first and the last, and what thou seest, write in a book, and send it to the seven churches, which are in Asia, and so on. So who is saying this to John? Jesus. What's his voice sound like? A trumpet. So here he is talking to John and saying, these are the things that are going to happen hereafter. So now we know what's happening now. We're in the church age. But now hereafter, what's going to happen? Well, in verse 2, look at the first part of the verse. And immediately I was in the spirit and behold, a throne was set in heaven and one sat on the throne. Immediately something happens. What happens to John? His location changes. He's not on the earth now. He's at the throne. A door is opened in heaven. He hears this voice. The voice has a sound of a trumpet. What does the voice say? Come up hither. And what happens immediately? And you'll see that this immediately, as you look at 1 Corinthians 15, is talking about the shortest measure of time, the shortest, let's say, unit of time that can be possibly measured. So let's read 1 Corinthians 15, and we'll see it kind of come together. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, neither does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep or die, but we shall all be changed in a moment. And there it is, a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruption must put on incorruption, this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on corruption, and this mortal shall put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying which is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O grave, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be unto God, which gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So here's what we see happening. This is a picture of the rapture of the church that Jesus is showing to John. He says, come up hither. And when he says, come up hither, it's such a loud voice. It sounds like the voice of a trumpet. And so he immediately, or an atomic moment, the shortest measure of time whatsoever, he is in a flash right there at the throne of God. I remember Andrew telling me that he says it all the time. He's, he wants to go to heaven so bad it's unbelievable. He just says, Dad, it, don't be concerned about it because the moment, the moment you die, you're in the presence of the Lord. 
You can't even measure the time. It's boom, boom. By the blink of an eye, you're there in the presence of God. I said, I appreciate that. Matter of fact, there are people that think, well, I've got plenty of time to get ready. And if that's going to happen in September, I've got plenty of time to get ready and so on and so forth. Watch this video and tell me if you've got plenty of time to get ready. Tell me what you think about this. It's, it's longer for the video to come up. Jesus Christ is coming back for his church. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 24, verse 42, Watch therefore, for you do not know the hour your Lord is coming. I want you to know, church, that Jesus Christ could come this month. Or he might come next week. Or he could even come... quick, wouldn't you say? Pretty impacting, wouldn't you say? And my point is this. So when September rolls around, there's 25th to the 27th, and you're sitting in your maybe easy chair thinking about what might happen. It may not be this Rosh Hashanah, Feast of Trumpets in September, 25th to the 27th. Could be the following one. But the point is to focus on the fact that the closer we get to September, hmm, we got to get our ducks in a row and make sure that we're really, really getting prepared. Because you see, this could happen in the moment of time, an atomic moment. Okay, now, don't be frightened by this. My dad just put a big one on me, though, but, you know. The last Trump is talking about the last Trump of Rosh Hashanah. Rosh Hashanah is the Feast of Trumpets. And he's talking about the last trumpet blast or the last blast of the shofar. There's a hundred blasts of the shofar that take place during Rosh Hashanah. Some people confuse this with the trumpet of judgment in the book of Revelation. But you know, you need to know something that Paul died before John even wrote Revelation. Okay. He wasn't talking about the trumpet of judgment in the book of Revelation. He is talking about the last trump, the hundredth trump that the high priest blows the shofar at the last trump of Rosh Hashanah and gets them off the field of harvest and brings them in to the presence of God, which will be the rapture of the church. So what takes place is at that time, our bodies, well, let's start with, with the dead in Christ. The dead in Christ, the graves are going to open. Their bodies are going to be changed. They're going to be caught up and be reunited with their spirit and soul. We that are alive will be changed and glorified, just like John was, to get before the throne of God. And then we're going to meet them to, in, in the air and go and be with the Lord for a period of seven years. Now, when it comes to Rosh Hashanah, it has different names associated with it. Number one, it's sometimes called the day of blowing. It could be the day of judgment. It can also be the day of remembering. It's the day which no one knows because you see, they don't know exactly when it's going to begin because it's based on the new moon, not the full moon. 
and it takes two priests to gather together to find out during that period of time when it actually begins. And so just to let you know that it's called the day which no one knows. That's why Jesus said no one knows the date, the time, or the hour. But it's also a revelation of when the Messiah will get married, will have his wedding. It's called the wedding day of the Messiah. So what I want to do is read to you before we get into these well, let's read the verses first. Look at John 14, first of all, verse 4 verses. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many what? Mansions could be translated dwelling places or chambers. If it were not so, I would have told you I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you. Notice, receive you to myself that where I am there, you may be also. And whither I go, you know, and the way you know. Now, of course, we know that Thomas says, and we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus says in verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father but by me, right? We know that it says that. But my point is here, he's talking about a wedding ceremony in these verses. In these first four verses, he's talking about a Jewish wedding ceremony. And I'm going to read it to you here to show you that this article, you can pull them up if you like yourself, but just to let you know, that's exactly what he's talking about. Rabbis have taught that after being resurrected on the Feast of Trumpets, the righteous would enter the chamber, the wedding chamber, and spend seven years while the day of trouble, which is tribulation or Jacob's time of trouble, seven years of judgment occurs on the earth. By examining an ancient Jewish wedding, we can more clearly see the picture of the union of the messianic community or the bride with the Messiah. When a man in the ancient Israel married, he went to the bride's house with a bride price and made a contract or covenant with the father. If the father accepted the man and his bride price, then the man would pour a glass of wine. If the girl drank it, it would indicate that she accepted the man's proposal and they were betrothed. The man would then go away and prepare a wedding chamber for his bride. And that could be anywhere from one to two years and not even see each other. When the man's father deemed the wedding, notice the man's father deemed the wedding ceremony was, a wedding chamber was ready, usually one or two years, then the man would return to the bride's house and steal her away like a thief in the night at an hour when no one would suspect. He would take her uh, to the bride chamber, to the chamber for seven days. During this time, the groom's father would hold a party to announce their marriage. At the end of the seventh day, the married couple would emerge from the chamber and partake of the marriage supper. So when Jesus was leaving, when he, when he instituted the Lord's Supper, this is what he was doing. He was leaving to go back and he said, look, he said to his disciples, this is my blood, the blood of the new and everlasting covenant, which is shed for many. So in this wedding ceremony, we have a picture of the Messiah, Jesus, Yeshua, the bridegroom and his bride. The contract is a new covenant. And he takes the, the, the drink of the cup and he says, I'm not going to drink it with you except when I get to my father's house when you come in with me. But Yeshua is speaking to his disciples after the last Passover, the same words that any Jewish man would tell his betrothed. And what are they? In my father's house are many chambers. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am, you may be also. And, of course, Yeshua paid the bride price. We call that a dowry. He paid the bride price uh, with his life. The marriage of believers to Yeshua is described in several Bible verses or texts such as, Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him, for the marriage of the Lamb is come. His wife had made herself ready, and to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousness of saints. So the Jewish ceremony is another beautiful shadow of Messiah's 
Messiah's coming uh, for his saints in the, in the rapture of the church. So, keep that in mind. And what we see here is we're in 2,000 years of time of the Gentiles. Jewish time stopped. Time of the Gentiles is now, and it's about to end. And what ends it is the rapture of the church. Now, you've got some that say, well, there's mid-trib. Some that say that there's post-trib. But I, let me just share this with you. To believe that, to believe that, you're believing in something God has never done. Keep that in mind. Look at Isaiah 26, and let's read it. Come, my people, enter your chambers and shut your doors behind you. Hide yourselves for a little while in the Lord until the Lord's wrath is past. For behold, the Lord is coming out of his place, heaven, to punish the inhabitants of the earth for their iniquity. The earth also will disclose the blood shed upon her and will no longer cover her slain and conceal her guilt. What is he saying to the righteous? Get out. Get into the chamber. Shut the door behind you and wait until my wrath is poured out upon the people. You see this in the day of Noah. He brought Noah and his family, the righteous, out. They went into the ark. The wrath of God was poured out. Judgment fell upon the people who, was, who were spared. Noah and his family. In the days of Lot, we see the same thing happening. Lot and his family are told to get out of Sodom and Gomorrah. Get out. They get out. And once they get out, the wrath of God is poured out upon the people for the iniquity of the earth. Of course, we know about Lot's wife because she turns around to go back and turns into a pillar of salt. But God got the righteous out before the wrath fell. So in the rapture, the church goes up and the wrath comes down. That's how it happens. Now look at Luke's gospel. And you can see this clearly stated by Jesus in chapter 17. As it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be also in the days of the Son of Man. They did eat, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage until the day of Noah entered the ark, and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise also, as it was in the days of Lot, they did eat, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they builded. But the same day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. So, we see this. The wrath of God is poured out, but before it's poured out, God says to his people, get into a chamber, hide yourselves away, and stay there until my wrath is poured out upon the earth and judgment comes upon all the earth. Well, look at the book of Romans as what it says in Romans chapter 5 and also 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Look at what it says. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood. Have you been justified by his blood? Have you been washed in his blood? Yes. Has your life been stamped, praise God, you're sin-free, you're free from sin because of what Jesus did for you? Much more shall we be saved by him from what? From what? The wrath of God. For if while we were sin enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. More than that. We also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. For God did not appoint us, that's the body of Christ, to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. So we've not been appointed to wrath. 
In, Reve in, in Revelation 4, verse 1, we are told that the church is, set, is told to come up hither to go into the chamber for seven years, to spend seven years in the chamber with the Lord, waiting what? The marriage feast of the Lamb, which will take place at the end of the seven-year period. And during that time, the wrath of God is poured out upon the earth. As a matter of fact, you can see this in Revelation. Look at verse 17 of chapter 6. For the great day of his wrath is come. So Revelation 2 and 3, you got the church age outline. Revelation chapter 4 and 5, we've got the church in heaven. And what's the church doing there in heaven? Well, it's like this. We've been removed from the earth. We're there in heaven before the throne of God. And John says, I saw the right hand of him that sat upon the throne, a book written within and on the backside, sealed with seven seals, and a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who's worthy to take the book and lose the seals thereof? And nobody found in heaven, earth, or beneath the earth was able to take the book or lose the seals thereof. So he wept much. But he said, don't weep. Look, behold, the line of the tribe of Judah, he hath prevailed to take the book and loose the seals thereof. And I looked and beheld in the midst of the throne the beast of the lamb, so the lamb as he had been slain. So the lamb as he had been slain, having seven eyes, seven horns, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth in all the earth. He came and took the book out of the right hand that him that sat upon the throne. When he took the book, the four and twenty elders fell down before the lamb, and every one of them had harps and golden vows full of voters, which are the prayers of saints. And they sung a new song, saying, this is us. Singing a new song saying, worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive riches of all. You redeemed us to God by your blood out of every kindred, tongue, and people, and nation. You made us kings and priests before our God. We shall reign with you on the earth. This is chapter 4 and 5. He saw, beheld, and looked around the throne. Many angels were about the throne. 10,000 times, 10,000 and thousand, thousand, saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb to receive riches, wisdom, strength, honor, glory, and blessing. And every creature in heaven, earth, and beneath the earth heard I saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him that sits on the throne of the Lamb forever. Amen. And the beast said, Amen. That's what's going on with you and me. That's what we're doing there, chapter 4 and chapter 5. Right? You like that? Uh-huh. Now let's hit chapter 6. Look at verse 17 again. Chapter 6, verse 17. Now, chapter 6 is, how many know that it's after chapter 5? <laughs> chapter 6 is after chapter 5, right? For the great day of his what? Of his what? Notice when the great day of his wrath begins. The church is removed and in the chamber of heaven, safe in the presence of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, and we are rejoicing that no one else on earth, heaven, or earth, beneath the earth, was able to take the book, but the Lamb of God was the root of David, the line of Judah. He was worthy, and we're there just celebrating. We're rejoicing in this, and on the earth comes the wrath of God. We're protected. So listen, if the church even goes through the first part, like they say, well, the first part is still the wrath of God. And as you saw there in Isaiah 26, the church is never to go through the wrath of God. The righteous will never go through the wrath of God. As a matter of fact, the righteous have never gone through the wrath of God. Look in the book of Genesis, um, chapter, what, 18? I know I'm going around, but that's okay. You don't mind that, do you? I don't want to confuse you back there, but chapter 18, look at what, uh, this is something that Abraham said when they were coming out of Sodom and Gomorrah. Abraham drew near and said, Will thou also destroy the righteous with the wicked? Peradventure there be 50 righteous within the city. Will you also destroy and not spare the place for the 50 righteous that are therein? 
that be far from thee to do after this manner, to slay the righteous with the wicked, and that the righteous should be as the wicked, that be far from thee. Now notice, shall not the judge of all the earth do right? And the Lord said, if I find in Sodom 50 righteous within a city, I'll spare it for the place for their sakes. And you know the stories you read on. 50, 40, 30, 20, 10. If there's 10, and he says, if yeah, I'll still spare it. So if God would have spared Sodom and Gomorrah for 10 righteous to be in the land, you think he's not going to spare us when they got thousands and thousands and thousands of believers that are righteous on the earth? You think he's going to make us go through any part of the wrath of God? He's not called us to wrath. He's called us to victory. Amen. We're with him in glory. Besides, we're getting ready for the marriage supper of the Lamb. You know, it takes some of us a little bit longer to get ready for the marriage supper of the Lamb. Ladies, it takes a little bit longer. To get... You'll be clothed in glory, right? Never mind. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 because this is, this is the whole thing. Jesus comes to rescue Israel after the seven-year tribulation period because a 200 million army surrounds them and you know all of what's been going on with Israel and how they've tried to destroy them try to wipe them off the planet but they're unsuccessful in doing so why because God's got their back but during this time in the seven year period when all this is poured out upon the earth and read about the book of Revelation this is what my dad told me oh my goodness the things that he said was going to happen on the earth it was it was frightening if you think about it all the vows and the bowls that are opened up and all the things that take place in the earth. It's like a period of time that Jesus himself said if it wasn't shortened, no one could withstand it at all. We haven't seen anything yet. If we think COVID was, that was just child's play. Child's play compared to what's going to happen during that seven-year period. So you think he would want any of us during here, here that are righteous? Absolutely not. So we're brought out. Seven-year tribulation. The Antichrist is revealed abomination of desolation, all of a sudden, they all gather around Israel. They're going to wipe Israel off the planet. Mm -mm, but wait, 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 wait. You see, Jesus came for his church in the rapture. Now he's coming with his church to defend Israel, to rescue Israel. We're riding with him, praise God, in the army of heaven. We're leading with him as he leads us with his vesture dipped in blood and a sharp two-edged sword in his mouth to make war. And he, in that battle of Armageddon, what does he do? He delivers them. And he sets up his 1,000-year millennial reign on the earth where he reigns for 1,000 years. That's tabernacle. See, there, there it is, rapture, atonement. Now, remember, the atonement was fulfilled in Christ when he died and took his blood to the high court of heaven. But the Jewish community have not accepted the blood of Jesus Christ. But when they see him coming in the clouds and they see him coming down to touch on Mount of Olives, what they found out is this. He is the Messiah. His blood was shed for us. See, they accept his atoning blood then. And then tabernacles, 1,000 year millennial reign on earth. He reigns with us. We reign with him on this earth for a thousand years. And we go back to the Edenic type atmosphere and environment. They say the lion lays with the lamb or the wolf, whatever you want, how you want to say it. In other words, we don't, we're not carnivorous. We don't eat, they don't eat each other. They don't kill each other. Snakes are friendly, ladies, snakes are friendly. You know, you have to be concerned about it. 
<laughs> Think about it. Um, it goes back to that kind. You live to be a thousand. If you were just born. Hey, honey, I'm going to get something special on your 500th birthday. <laughs> Got a lot of years to get excited about this. <laughs> you see the point. Okay, so let's read it now. I saved the best for the last. Let's read it. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And I don't get it why some of these people today, they don't believe in the rapture of the church. Well, then stay. Stay. We're out. I'm going up. See, there's a button going up. I pushed mine. <laughs> Did you push yours? I'm going up. You going up? Okay. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, or without understanding concerning them which are asleep. In other words, when people die. You see, he spent little time with these people. He answered a lot of their questions. See, that had a short time to answer the questions, and so people were dying. Remember, they thought the return of Jesus was imminent. They thought he was coming back, like, right here, right now, he's coming back before we die. And Well, that wasn't the case. So they were dying who believed in Jesus. And he said, I thought you said you're the resurrection of the life, and that someone who believes on you will never die, right? Well, they said, now, don't be without understanding. So he's, he's targeting death. You can sorrow, but not as those that have no hope. So he goes on to say, that you sorrow not even as others which have no hope. Aren't you glad that Jesus took the sting out of death? He abolished death. He brought life and immortality to life to the gospel. And because of what he did in his death, burial, resurrection, praise God, death does not have the final say. And so you will see your loved one again. So if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, do you believe that? Then even so them also which sleep or they have died in Christ, will God bring with him. Notice with him, we're raptured up, we go to be with him. Right When he comes back, he's bringing us with him. So all those that have died in Christ before us, he's going to bring with him to the earth during this time called the rapture of the church. For this we say uh, unto you by the word of the Lord, it's the Lord's word, he's, he's the one that taught this to Paul, that we which are alive and remain to the coming of the Lord shall not prevent or go before them which are asleep or have died. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven... What, they, what did John see? A door opening in heaven. What did he hear? A shout like the voice of a trumpet with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God and the dead. Can you imagine the scene when the graves are open? Can you imagine all the resurrection soil? Beaver Cemetery, all the cemeteries around us, they're going to hear the trumpet sound. And when they hear the trumpet sound, the graves are going to open, praise God. And all the remains are going to rise up. Be reunited with their spirit and soul that's already with him in glory and chains in the twinkling of an eye. With the trump of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first. And then we, which are alive and remain, shall, shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. This is called a family reunion. You may not like family reunions on earth. I guarantee you, you're going to love this family reunion in the sky. You don't have to bring anything. You don't have to cook anything. You don't have to dress any particular way because you're going to get a new attire. You're going to get a glorified body, praise God. One that will never die and one that can eat and not gain weight. Praise God, aren't you? You better shout to that one, praise God. Hallelujah. Think about it. And you won't have to exercise anymore. Because you're not subject to anything like that. So the reunion will take place in the sky and forever are we going to be with the Lord. Did we read the last part of that? Look at the last part. 
of this. Ah, so important. Look at the latter verse, verse 18. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Everybody say comfort. comfort. Okay, all right, now listen. This is really a comforting thought, right? Just want you all to know, I'll preach maybe next week and let you know, that you're going to have to go through the first part of the wrath of God. I'm going to comfort you with those words. Oh, wait, 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 wait. You see, if you get saved then during, during the tribulation, look out. But if you're a believer and you think you have to wait to the end of it, post-trib, I'm going to comfort you with the words. You're going to endure something so horrific that the world has never seen before. Hellstones are going to come out that are 100 pounds, and they're going to just fall upon the earth and try to kill people, but they're not going to die because, read it. I comfort you with those words. I can't wait for it. Does that make any sense? No. Comfort one another with those words? You're going to go through the first part of the tribulation? No. It's called Jacob's trouble. It's called the wrath of God. The second part, the last part that's horrific, comfort. But I do have words of comfort. Because when he comes, he's coming for you. He's going to bring you to the throne. He's going to take you to his chamber. You're going to meet up there with him. We're going to just wait for that marriage supper of the Lamb. We're getting prepared. While this is all taking place on earth, we have glorious bliss in the presence of a living God. I comfort you with those words. Does that comfort you? Absolutely. Now, what's it going to happen? Ask Jesus. I don't know. The Father knows. We're close. We know that. And we have reason to know that it's close. But... This is the food for thought that I close with because this is what my dad said to me. Millions of people will be gone in the blink of an eye, in a flash. Son, you've got to understand this. Because when that happens, there's going to be some things on earth that's going to go haywire. Like what? Well, you may be driving in a car, and the car that, that's being driven by the person that you're with is a believer, and he'll be gone in a flash, and you're left in the car that's going by itself. And then he said, you might be flying in an airplane. If you're flying in an airplane and the pilot and co-pilot are both born again, spirit-filled children of God, and they're gone, you're going down. You might be on a train. You might be on a subway. Who knows what you might. Oh, how about this one? You might be in surgery. And your doctor happens to be born again. And by the way, it's open heart surgery and... You know, his whole team, he's so proud of his whole team. They're all Christians and they're born again. And, and while you're just ready and open and they went up and there you are. Oh, my goodness. Well, it could be maybe, a, you know, a business endeavor. It could be a families that lost loved ones they have no bodies in order to bring closure to that situation because they're all gone it could be economic implications where you're not there to pay your mortgage you're not there to pay your bills you're not there to pay your taxes the effect on the economy we're not i'll say that again we're not you're not around to pay taxes you're not around to pay taxes you're not around to pay taxes aren't you glad you're not going to be around to make all those payments that you don't really <laughs> never mind okay comfort one another with these words see the comfort that's in in that 
And then also you've got um, humanitarian efforts when you've got uh, charitable, uh, let's say, organizations where believers do a lot of, of donating to things like this. You realize that? We as believers do a lot of giving, which you know that to be true. And so all this is going to be affected by the fact that we're out of here. And this world is going to be under the wrath of God for how many years? Seven years. So the whole wrath of God is a seven-year period. And as believers, we're not called to wrath. But we're called to comfort. And then at the end of the seven-year period, praise God, that's when we have the marriage feast of the land, marriage supper of the land, Revelation chapter 19. So I wanted to bring it from this perspective because I think it gives us a different look, a different take. So, so we know it's not just Daniel's 70th week that really, as far as I'm concerned, makes me believe that the church is raptured up out of here, that last seven-year period. But it's also this revelation given to us by John that Jesus gave to him that lets us know that here you got the church age that we're living in now. Then you got things to come. Rapture first, wrath second. And then it goes on from there. I pray that every one of us is ready. Because you see, for the first 24 years of my life, I sat in church, like you're sitting in church right now, never heard born again, never heard rapture, never heard tribulation, never heard Rosh Hashanah, never heard Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, never heard tabernacles, never heard any of that stuff. I would just sit there and just do what I was supposed to do, I guess. Just listen, you know, do what you have to do and just say what you have to say. Didn't know any of that. But one day my eyes got open and I start realizing your eternity, you can't leave in the hands of somebody else. And I committed myself to teaching God's people the Word of God, which is why I do more teaching than preaching, because it's important that we be informed as well as inspired. As, okay, you can be inspired, but you've got to be informed as well. You've got to have a revelation that God gives and only He can give. And so thank God that we have the revelation of His Word that helps us better understand that this, this just for example, this is say possibly. I'm not a date setter. You know that. I've never been a date setter. But you know what? I think we're wise enough to know Jesus said, know the signs of the times. I think we should know now he's coming during the Feast of Trumpets. Maybe not this coming September. It could be the following September. It could be the following after that. But the point I'm making is, you see the day approaching? We're getting closer to the Feast of Trumpets, aren't we? We're getting closer and closer and closer. Just this year, we're getting closer. You see, there's certain things that have to take place. So, well, actually, the rapture is signless right now. Nothing else has to take place. But God, if God wants to wrap it up, he can wrap it up in a heartbeat just like that this September, if he wanted to. My point is, are we mindful of it? Are we aware of it? Are we born again? Are we prepared to leave this realm and go up with him in glory? And the only way you can escape it is by being born again. Not being a churchgoer. Church doesn't save you. I was in church for 24 years. I wasn't saved. But I got saved, thank God, because my dad was a radical revelation madman he made it sound like I'm you, you're gonna be right there you you're gonna be right there you'll be on that plane and it will go down and you will go down with it and he leaves he right you might want to use this he writes out a sinner's prayer first I'm gonna leave this with you son 
You might be the one going down. You might be in that car that wrecks. And the, you might be in surgery. You be the one. I'll see you. Picked it up, went to my closet and prayed the sinner's prayer. Literally went to my closet and prayed the sinner's prayer. Three times. <laughs> then I went to work. I worked in a mill crane at that time. I went up to, the, to my, my apartment up there, <laughs> the mill crane, and I got on my knees and prayed it again. It finally hit me one time. If I meant what I'm praying, I think he heard me. And I realized he did. And I've been born again. What a wonderful time. What peace of mind to know that you know that you know. You can't do anything to get saved because someone did something for you to save you. All you've got to do is say, I accept it. Let's all stand together before the Lord.